Happy New Year, and welcome to the first new episode of the Scripts and Scribes podcast for our third season. We're brought to you today by Tough Love Screenwriting, a brass knuckles, boots on the ground guide to building a paid professional screenwriting career written by veteran working screenwriter John Gerald. It's available now on Amazon.com, and there's a link on our site for your convenience. And for more great interviews and resources on the craft and business of writing, be sure to check out our companion website, scriptsandscribes.com. But first, we have on the show a literary manager and producer who got his start at industry entertainment before being promoted to manager at Caliber Media. He's also worked as a manager at Silent R and spent time at Innovative Artists prior to forging out on his own and forming the aptly named Lee Stobie Entertainment. I'm pleased to welcome on Lee Stobie. Thanks for coming on, Lee. Hello. Hello, Kevin. So, um, I appreciate you coming on. This is a happy new year to you. Happy New Year. I mean, I'm uh, I'm happy to be here. I'm super happy when you asked me to, to take part in it. I'm excited to partake some knowledge to all the lovely listeners out there. Yeah, it'll be a great 2015. And you were the first guest of our, our new season. So uh, thank you for taking the time. And uh, I know you're prepping for a class. You also are teaching a class for Stage 32, which if our listeners don't know, it's a, a website, forums, and community. Um, yeah, I mean, like, I mean, I, this was an opportunity. I mean, I think that you know, from my perspective, I really, I really enjoy helping writers. I mean, my main, my main thing is I really want to make sure that films and scripts are as great as they possibly can be. And I think that's why I enjoy representation so much is working so closely with, you know, insanely talented writers to help make their scripts even better. And then when they are wonderful, run around all over town, making them really great. So yeah, you know, teaching classes and guest paneling and I'm a guest in classes all the, for other people's classes at other universities, and I'm always trying to kind of shed some light on how I look at the industry and how I have kind of trying to build my own little empire and how I, all the knowledge and experiences that I'm collecting can help others. Right, right. No, that's great. I mean, to have uh, an active working lit manager teaching a class, I think, is 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 great. Oftentimes script uh, screenwriting teachers and, and consultants aren't actual you know aren't actually working in the industry really so i think it's, it's cool mm-hmm. that you're doing both well because there's different different perspectives like from my perspective what you know what i see it's different you know like you know, you read a book like well this is what a good screenplay is and then versus me actually hearing you know from the horse's mouth right studio executives and production company produ- you know producers and executives and agents like what they actually are responding to. And a lot of times those can be very different things for a lot of different reasons. So kind of shedding some light and yeah, the, you know, there's the save the cats and the screenwriting one-on-one kind of thing, but then what is an actual script that people actually get excited about look like? And are they the same? Are they different? And you know, why are they different? And what are the kind of things that get people in those different positions excited? Right, right. Now, we normally start off our interviews, although we took a little detour right there, but we normally start off our <laughs> interviews um, getting to know you a little bit. Okay. So maybe you can just tell us a little bit about where you're from. I know you're from the Midwest and uh, mm-hmm. you know what you studied and how did you uh, come out to LA? How did you get your first job? That kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, yes, I'm from the Midwest. I was born in Ohio, in Columbus. Actually, I lived in a little town called, well, I lived in between Johnstown and Granville mm-hmm. for the first like 10 years of my life. And then my dad got transferred for his work up to Michigan. So I kind of lived all over Michigan for the rest of my remaining child years, I guess you would call them. And then I went to the University of Michigan. Um, 
so in terms of film, I I think it was around I don't know what year it is. I think it's two thousand when X Men came out. Like I've always loved movies, right? I've always loved movies. I've always thought movies were really interesting. You know, I watched something like Jurassic Park or Independence Day. I'm like, oh, these are amazing. But most, I think this is probably true of most children too. Is that like you just think the movies are magic? You're like, oh, I know Steven Spielberg is a director, but like not really understanding what that means, mm-hmm. right? Like, what does that what does that do? Like, what do they do, right? Like, from my perspective, when you're eight, you're like, well, Steven Spielberg like has a camera and he like points it and like stuff shows up, right? Like, not understanding the the process and the bits and pieces and scripts and you know, having a very kind of a kind of understanding of all those things. So I think it was actually the movie X-Men where I realized, because I, I was already a fan of like the animation series and comic books, and I was like, oh, man, I'm going to make that into a movie. That's interesting. How are they going to do that? Like, I never thought about, like, what, what does that actually entail? Like, oh, they're going to write the scripts, and then I was noticing that they were, like, seeing it in magazines. Like, oh, they're going to hire actors. Like, oh, this is so interesting. Rather, like, putting this thing together when the movie came out, I thought, I loved it. Then I started following box office. Because I thought, oh, that's interesting. You can make money. And then there's marketing people. There's these things called producers. And I kind of got infatuated with, like, the kind of whole to-do of the whole thing. It became really interesting to me. But it's not just, you know, I don't have to just be a director or an actor. There's all these people kind of involved in the whole process. So that kind of set me off on a journey that kind of really kicked in when Lord of the Rings came out. And I just, like, was like, I have to do this. Like, I have to absolutely work in movies. And then I went on a journey kind of most through my high school years where I just watched every single possible movie I can could get my hands on. I've seen, I've seen every single Best Picture winner. I'd seen all the yeah, IMDb's top 250, AFI, mm-hmm. anything, everything. I watched, I would just turn on TCM and I would just watch movies all day long. I watched, like, I think there was one, there was a couple weekends where I watched like 26 movies, 27 movies in a weekend, just nonstop, just go, 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 go. It didn't stop. So, I knew I wanted to work in movies that didn't necessarily know capacity, but I always knew that I, you know, to me, I wanted to win an Oscar, and I wanted to win the Best Picture Oscar, because that seems like that's the best one, so who wins that? Well, that's the producer. Right. Because that producer's involved in the most capacity. Well, that's an interesting job, because they're the the builder of the whole thing, right? They actually, like, there's must they must have a really important job, right? My teens, like, they're, my teens are like, they must be a really important person if they're going to give them the Best Picture Oscar. So that must be the job that I want. So started kind of looking in that. I went to University of Michigan. I'd already done a lot of video production stuff and done commercials and shot an Elvis Fest impersonation concert while I was in Michigan that they shoot there and sold the DVD back. So I was already kind of had a lot of like kind of hands-on production experience and, and that's still knowledge of seeing just a shit ton of movies. You know, by the time I was 19, I went to University of Michigan and be like, well, I could take these film classes, but I didn't really want to be a director. Like that wasn't really that interesting to me. Um, even though I was doing it. Mm-hmm. So I wanted to study communication study because I wanted to understand communication because I wanted to understand people. I wanted to understand media and I wanted to, I wanted to take psychology classes. I wanted to understand how to like, take marketing classes. I wanted to understand kind of like if I want to be a producer, like what is that, you know, well, I need to understand all the bits and pieces beyond just what's a good movie because I feel like, you know, as a, you know, cocky 19, like I feel like I know what a good movie is. <laughs> or like I don't need more of that. I understand that already. So I did that. And then, you know, by the time I was graduating, I'd never been to L.A., you know, still had a kind of like a vague understanding of kind of how it worked out here. You know, I was really just more focusing on my school and more focusing on that and watching even more movies. Um, and then I actually just applied to a job, like in the career centers, and it was at Double Feature Films to be an intern. And they called me up, like I applied. I was like, I don't know what I'm going to do. And I just got out of the blue, I got an email or I think actually it was a phone call. And they're like, oh, do you want to 
you know, do you have, do you have 30 minutes to interview for this internship for this production company out in LA? And I was like, oh, cool. So I interviewed, they offered me the job. So I was like, I guess I'm going to LA. So I took the job, got another internship um, at Mitchell Films. Mm-hmm. Um, I came out here and just worked my ass off. I just hit the ground running super hard. I didn't know anybody. I didn't even, I didn't know where Santa Monica was. I didn't know anything. I didn't know absolutely nothing. Um, and I just read every single script I could possibly get my hands on. And while, the, and like, but this is also like the, the WME merger was happening at this time. And, you know, it was post writer strike, like the world, you know, the whole kind of shift was like shifting here kind of in a different way. It's like a kind of a different kind of Hollywood. So it was, I floated around, I attempted some places. Um, and then I ended up getting a job in industry entertainment. It's just one of the managers there. And I was there for, for a talent manager, which made me realize I don't want to be having any interest in working with actors. But what I always wanted to do is I wanted, you know, I want to work with writers and directors. I want to make beautiful pieces of art and beautiful, beautiful movies that are remembered forever. So I knew I always wanted to work with writers and directors more. So even while I was on these talent tests, I read every single script, like every single studio script that came through and every single draft. And while they're doing rewrites and they were coming in, I'm looking at them and trying to understand all that. And then I went out for that and I went and got a job at Caliber Media, it's just the two partners there. And I was there for almost three years. And that's where, after six months, I started signing clients. And the rest is history. And now I'm here. We still be entertainment. Yeah. <laughs> 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 so that, that so there you go. That's Lee's career in a uh, five-minute nutshell. So that's great. <laughs> so for those sort of newer writers who feel that they need an agent, but uh-huh. don't really understand the sort of manage- management side, thinking agents and managers are sort of interchangeable, maybe you mm-hmm. could describe a little bit about the difference between agents and managers and what they're sort of responsibilities you know obviously a lot of it sort of is intertwined and 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 very similar in terms of procuring work for a client but they're also very different in terms of how involved in a a writer's career they get and things like that absolutely i mean i think you know the main yeah there's a lot of overlap in terms of the kind of things yeah you know what i do and what an agent do does in like a very kind of like functional kind of way are very similar right i read scripts i sign clients i develop those client scripts I send them out to a bunch of people, right? That, that's the nuts and bolts, right? And, you know, those agents and managers can do that, right? Agents tend to be more involved in the sending things out in the more kind of transactional one-to-one rather than the nuts and bolts. Like, I'll do 12 drafts of a script with a writer, right? Like, but, you know, agents are, tend to do less of that because they have more clients, they have bigger volume, they, they serve as kind of a bigger machine, right? If you're at one of these bigger CA or WME or UTA, you know, there's, your job isn't just about necessarily just representing writers. Sometimes it's about, you know, the kind of bigger, the bigger picture of a corporation, right? Like, I'm least over entertainment. It's, it's just me, right? So I can focus on just what I need to focus on, just my clients, right? Now, not that an agent doesn't focus on their clients, but it's about, you know, they might have 100 and I have 20, right? It's a, it's a volume thing and they're, they're on teams and they're in meetings and they think about bigger things and, a big actor will come in and they have to join the meeting to kind of talk about what, how they can be helped and how the, you know, the department, the lit department can help them. They could be a, a steward and, you know, I was talking to an agent, had a bigger agent, the, you know, the other day and he's going to go cover Sundance. Like it's his job just to see every single movie. And that's what he's going to do. Just see every single one and kind of cover the agency in that capacity, right? Either they've cast 
him with doing that. Right? And that's on top of everything else he does, right? But that's not something I'm going to have to do. Right? I'm going to have to go see every single movie so I can report back to all my other agents, right? That's seen every movie. But yeah, but I think, you know, fundamentally, like, I think it's very similar. I, you know, but I also think what's, what's, you know, the most important thing to realize if you're a younger writer and you're like, oh, I want an agent or I want a manager or whatever, everyone's different, right? Some agents are more like managers. Some managers are more like agents, right? You know, it's also a very specific, you know, kind of what you want and what you need and where you are in your career, right? I think typically younger writers, you know, younger as a, in terms of how long they've been, you know, where they are in their career rather than age tend to get more managers because managers are a little bit can, you know, spend the time to kind of help build those things. Mm-hmm. Right. Like you don't still need to have a big fancy agent who's going to go get you a meeting with David Fincher because they're probably not going to be able to get you if you're not there. Right. If you're not to a point where that's a worthwhile thing for them to go and do right. That agent, then they're not going to really pay attention to you. Whereas like me, I'm, I can put the time into kind of help building someone up into that point where then we can go to that, that, big fancy agent and be like, hey, can we can we do something spectacular here? And they'd be like, oh great, yeah, because you guys have done the work and spent the time to build, you know, build the momentum up to that point. So I think that if you're younger, managers tend to be a better first stop. But it isn't always true too, right? It depends kind of also what you want to do and what you need. Right. Now you've had clients in the last uh, clients with scripts, obviously their screenplay ended <laughs> up on the last two blacklists, um, yeah. which is great. But what does that do for a client? When, and again, we're talking the blacklist that, that is voted on by the industry, not the uh, website that you can submit your scripts yeah. to, the script service, but the actual blacklist. Yeah. Um, yeah. What does that do for a writer's career? Yeah. Um, I mean, well, this is, this is what I would, I would say. I think you know, the main job, you know, my, main, my main job, I would say, is getting people to read a writer's script. That, that's the thing. So I think that the fundamental, most important kind of reaction, right, you know, that I've experienced having scripts that have been on the blacklist is that you get, it's a really, really easy way to get a bunch more, you know, I had to get a bunch, I, you know, to get a script on the blacklist, you have to get a bunch of people to read it. When you get a script on the blacklist, you get even more people to read it, right? That's, it's, that's kind of, that's part of that, that boulder that you're trying to push up the mountain, you know, having a great script that can be, rec- you know, gets recognized, in a way, like, oh, this was good, you know, you get a little tap on the back, it helps you get, keep kind of pushing up that mountain a little bit more, right? But I think it's the main, you know, the main thing to always remember is that it's all, it's all a, a bigger, you know, it's not just the blacklist, not just these things, all these things are helpful. I, I love the blacklist. I think the blacklist, the main thing that it does is, you know, a lot of times I talk to, you know, people in the industry and people are very much, well, this is a sellable idea, this isn't a sellable idea, this is a, you know, we can't hire this person for this, we can't do that, whereas the blacklist is, you know, it asks people, hey, what did you like, right? You know, what what what, what did you like this year? Right? I think that, you know, people always even talk about, oh, the Oscars are stupid. Like, I think the Oscars are genius, one, because I love them, and two, <laughs> but I also think it's important to have things like that because a lot of times people in Hollywood can kind of give infatuated with the idea of, you know, just just moving paper around, just closing deals, just trying to see try to sell things, trying to get things made, you know, never kind of stopping to think, oh, I can do this rather than, well, like what's important, right? To step back and like, well, what would I actually really love to see? Right. So when you when you point at someone like, what movie did you like this year? Oh, I like that movie. Okay, cool. Like it's helpful to kind of help remind that we're trying to make things, you know, what beautiful movies that are that touch you in some way and that are important so i think 
stuff like the blacklist is really important because it helps support writers who are doing things that are great, right? And that's that's you know that's the the fundamental I think goal of stuff like that, which I love, right? Right. Now there's a question and that benefit hopefully having good writers who are trying to do good things that people then also like and then vote for or things with the blacklist and want to try to get some jobs and want to be supportive because you know Hollywood's a very insulated small thing really when you look at it and people want to help the the good people. Right. Hopefully. Yeah. <laughs> <Drop the> fingers. <laughs> right. I was going to ask you. Now it's it's something that I think it's difficult to answer uh, in terms of a, a general question like what are you looking for in a client? Obviously you're looking for someone you make a, you have a connection with, someone whose work you love, uh someone you believe in, you know, that those kinds of things that are sort of, you know, amorphous. They're very subjective. But mm-hmm. but maybe you could answer what types of things other than great writing obviously the writing has to be there and you have to <clears throat> respond and everyone's different but there's obviously a certain yeah. you know bar certain level that you know writers have to meet to be even considered in that category meaning yeah. you know you have to have a, a grasp of story structure and you know these kinds of things they're just basic but what what types of things do your clients or do successful writers tend to have, you know, what skills, what personality traits, what makes a great writer other than great writing? I think, you know, because I read a lot of scripts. Like I read, I mean, I think I probably ended up reading close to 250, like nickels, semifinals and quarterfinals even. Like re- reading through like just a, just a ton, right? Just a ton of them, right? That doesn't mean that I finished all of those. It means that I, you know, I read enough to kind of decide if this was something that I wanted to pursue. And I think that, you know, either out of those 250, I signed one, mm-hmm. two, people, two people out of all of those, out of that whole kind of endeavor, right? And I'm kind of talking to a third person. And the thing that I would say that I was looking for amongst all of those people was in a group of 250, which ones stood out the most, right? And that can be, you know, a lot of different things, right? It's the, it's the idea, it's the kind of the way, I mean, what I always like to say is I really like writers who have a swagger to them and kind of demand attention. I think it's, it's a difference between being good, solid writing and kind of demanding people to pay attention to it, right? That it really grips you and it's haunting and it's beautiful in a way that's kind of unfolding a story, right? Is That's a very kind of nebulous, hard thing to kind of pin down what that is, right? But when I see it, you're like, oh man, this person totally is captivating me because people don't want no one wants to read. People in Hollywood hate reading. They absolutely hate it. So <laughs> it's the idea that if someone's going, if I'm going to represent somebody, you know, because do I like reading? Well, I read a lot. That doesn't mean that I love it. It means that it's part of the function of my job, right? I like movies, right? And that's an important building block of that kind of activity. So finding writers who, at least from my perspective, are writing things that really make me excited because, you know, at the same time, it's like, if I'm going to develop a script as a writer, I'm going to read 12 drafts, right? So if I'm five pages into a script and I have notes and I don't think the dialogue is on point and I don't think the descriptions are that interesting or it's just kind of straightforward or it's a little bland, I'm like, well, I'm going to read 12 drafts of this writer's next script. It's not going to, I'm going to wake up in the morning and I want to shoot myself. It's just not going to make me that excited. I have to, there has to be something that I'm seeing there. Like, what I read this, especially imagine myself, would I read this again, and then again, and then again? And if the answer is no, well, then why? <laughs> That's not going to work. So I'm looking for people that I'm going to be interested in doing that with, really getting 
that level of engrossed into the, the product itself, right? So I think that that's, yeah, and that, all of that really is, but it's, it's hard, it's definitely difficult to kind of pin it down. But I think it's, but I think it's always obvious to me when writers are interesting, right? And they have something to say. I think that a lot of, a lot of writers, they kind of, I think a, a common mistake that writers write, like I would say like the most common mistake that I think when I read a script is that writers are writing scripts for other people, and it's very obvious to me when, oh, hey, I should write an animation thing because the animation movies do And then they write an animation, but they don't like the animation. You shouldn't write an animation movie if you don't like animation movies, right? Because what you end up writing is something, oh, this is, I'll write something like Kung Fu, Kung Fu, Kung Panda, for example. Right. Okay. Then I'll read the script that's like Kung Fu Panda. I'll be like, well, this is just like Kung Fu Panda. It's like, that's not interesting to me. They didn't push the boundaries here. They aren't challenging me because obviously they didn't write this because this is something that's unique and powerful and exciting to them. Right. That's what you should be writing is that that's what what I'm looking for. When I find writers, when I find, when I'm reading a script, it's obviously the ones that were written from their heart, essentially. Like this is this, this writer had to tell this story. Is it commercial? Who cares? Is it, that's not what they're thinking. Not thinking if it's going to sell, not thinking if it's going to, oh, I put a robot in it, so that's what will sell now. It's like, no, they're not thinking about it in those terms. They're just thinking of it, and this is important, right? This is, speaks to me. This is a movie that I want to see, right? And then that, to me, I think is obvious, right? I think that that's obvious to me when I'm reading a script and it's a story that's really, that a writer's really passionate about it because it's also, they've done the work, right? If you're writing a script that you don't love or you don't love that genre or you don't love those kind of things or you don't love the decisions you're making with the script because you're making decisions because you think that's what other people want, it's going to be obvious to me when I'm reading it. It's going to feel like it's you trying to copy someone else versus telling something, you know. I, I, like, I like writers that are more rough because I think there's a roughness that's where it's interesting, right? They're breaking the rules in interesting ways. They're not playing with, but also because I think that's also from my perspective when I go and talk to executives and producers and all these people is that they want people who have something to say and they want something unique. And when they hire a writer to, you know, do a draft of a script, it's not because they want a programmer or something with a robot. They want to hire someone, you know, again, because it goes back to someone like someone like the blacklist and also they want, you know, deep down people want to make movies that are remembered forever and are going to be very specific and unique and powerful and interesting. And they want to hire writers that are going to be passionate about whatever their idea, whatever the idea is or book or whatever it is that rolls the sleeves and create something beautiful, right? That's specific and unique that only that writer could have created, right? Because it's something they, it's their machine that they're going to put it through, that idea. Right, right. Now, a lot of newer writers question whether they need an agent or a manager and why they're sending out my script and do I need to pay 10%, 10%, all these kinds of things. Um, and I think a lot of that comes from not understanding what managers and agents, what they actually do uh, in terms of, and your heavy, heavy workload. Because as you'd mentioned, just from the nickel, this year's nickel, you had read 250 scripts. Now, I'm sure you didn't read all of them, every single one, because you know, you know sort of right away which ones yeah. connect with you and which ones are good and which ones aren't. No, I mean, like, I gave, I gave every single, you know, and again, like, that's also, you know, from a pool of, you know, ones I didn't, I could have read and emailed and gotten all of them, but I didn't read another hundred of them because I'm just like, I'm never going to, those are stories or ideas or kinds of things that I don't find interesting. But, you know, I read enough 
having read, because, you know, I've probably read in my history of reading scripts over the past years, I've probably read 5,000, 4,000. I mean, like, I'm, I'm drawing from a point of tons of scripts of all levels and all types and awful scripts and amazing scripts and scripts that have sold for a million dollars and scripts that should have sold for a million dollars, but then did like, all kinds of things. So when I'm reading 10 pages, I'm also, what I'm also doing is I'm evaluating whenever I'm reading for new clients, I'm always constantly evaluating against all my current clients, right? Great. Let's say I'm reading a comedy script, right? I don't represent very many comedy people, but if I'm reading a comedy script and I'm like, well, this comedy script is not as funny as the two or three comedy writers that I represent. I'm not going to be able to be helpful to that writer. That script could be great, right? Maybe that person can be fine luck, but it's like, am I actually going to, when I wake up on a Tuesday, I'm going to make phone calls for my fifth best comedy writer, right? It's like, it's not going to be that exciting. I'd rather, because you know, what you're talking about, what my day-to-day is, you know, trying to get people, trying to get people jobs, trying to get them their scripts read by people. So it's, you know, I got to focus on, you know, if you're going to, if you're going to breed horses, you don't want to, oh, well, I really want this horse to come in seventh place. <laughs> like, no, you're trying to get the horse that's going to win, right? So that, that's, the, that's the goal, right? So if I already have one that's really good, you know, I don't need to bring on someone who's not as good, right? They need to be have that same level of power. What was your question, now? Well, no, yeah. <laughs> well, um, no, my, my point was is that in addition to working for your clients, there's a lot of other work that's going on behind the scenes and, you know, developing, finding new clients and things. But in addition to that, again, you have to service all of your current clients. So in order to take on a new client, you had mentioned that, you you know, you're not going to take somebody who you think is pretty good. You know, this is comedy writers, pretty good. I have three great comedy writers, but this one's pretty good. So it, you really have to believe in them and love their work. I mean, because it's, it's a big time commitment. But maybe you could tell me what goes into, like, example, you take on a new client. What goes into breaking a new client? I mean, how much work is involved and, and what are those? That's a lot of work. Yeah, what are those it's steps? Work. <laughs> it's, I mean, it's, you know, I've, you know, I've represented people for three and a half, four years, and, you know, some of those people that I still represent haven't made, the, some of those people haven't made, haven't made me any money yet. But that doesn't mean I'm going to give up, right? But, like, but, you know, I've represented someone for three and a half years, how many meetings I've sent, how many scripts I've sent them for people to, how many phone calls I've had with that person. You know, there's conceivably, you know, I've spent hundreds, hundred hours, 200 hours on someone who I just truly believe in, right? And talking to them, talking to executives. You know, I, I have two or three meetings a day, sometimes coffees and lunches and drinks and, because I'm all going to these people with the idea that I'm going to be a conduit for good material and get people to read my material and get it to as many people as I possibly can, right? And I'm also relentless and just trying to get to people and go to parties and you know, going to a party for the, for the explicit idea of I'm going to go there to try to meet people and talk to people and socialize with people that are doing the kind of thing that I'm interested in doing and, you know, get them to pay attention to what I'm doing because they have, there's other people like me also trying to get them <laughs> to be paid attention to other things, right? So that there's a lot of kind of groundswell, kind of broad strokes work that goes into all of that, right? I mean, I think I think kind of going back, I think you know, just from my perspective, it's like you know, some I only want to represent people that I'm really passionate about, and I want to keep a small list. But that isn't, you know, so again, it kind of goes back to some people. Some people can represent more people and be helpful to them because they don't, or, you know, they don't need to do as much as that's bolts. So like if you. If you're a writer and you don't want to have your 
managers and agents give you a bunch of notes and you just want them to send your scripts out, well, then that's fine. Then maybe that is, maybe I could then write, represent that for a comedy writer because I own that kind of a manager or that kind of an agent. And that's a different, that's a different thing, but that's not what I do. And I don't find that interesting. Also, sometimes I don't even represent, I don't represent people sometimes because I don't think I necessarily, you know, I don't know if I can be hopeful enough for them. Right. If let's say even if they have stuff going or there's stuff kind of, you know, they're brewing or they're need you know, sometimes maybe they don't need, you know, they don't need the notes. They don't need the thing. They don't need to go, you know, they don't need to go set a bunch of meetings with a bunch of executives around town. Like that's not really going to help them. Right. If they're going to go, if they're just going and trying to get a hundred thousand dollars movie made, well, then they need someone to go help them do that. They don't need, they don't even need someone like me right now, especially if I don't think I'm going to be the person to help them get that thing made. Well, then they need to go do their other thing or they need to find somebody who's going to be helpful, helpful with that specific task for them, right? And I'm just going to be friendly with them and keep close and kind of build my, build my connections from there. Mm-hmm. Now, how important is networking for a writer? And I, again, I know writing is the most important thing. Um, <clears throat> having great material is the most important thing. But how important is networking for a writer? With, whether with mm-hmm. other writers, whether with, you know, industry mixers, or, you know, assistants. And... It's super important. Yeah. I mean, cause the thing, I think, like, I actually, part of, like, you asked me earlier, like, what do I look for? Another thing that I look for is that they have to live in Los Angeles. Like, that isn't, like, where I represent somebody that doesn't live in Los Angeles, but I represent a few people that don't live in Los Angeles. But again, it's the idea of how helpful can I be to someone? You know, the main job of any manager, the main thing that any manager or agent can do is send scripts to people in set meetings, right? So if you don't, live in Los Angeles, I can't set meetings for you, right? Like that, and that's one of, that's one of the two main things, right, that at least someone like me can do for someone. I can go and then, but I, but I can't be in that meeting with you. I can't, I can't, you're going to have to speak to your ideas and be able to get them excited about them. And they go, like, the idea of living here is also not even just that, it's the idea that I've had clients, I was hanging out in the bar and uh, I ran into this guy you know, I ran, and I started chatting with him, like, and it's like, oh, that's, like, the president of that huge company. And I'm like, oh, yeah, I was chatting with him. He loves me. He's my, reading my script right now. I'm like, wow, that's crazy, because I don't even talk to that person. And I'm like, but that, that happens because you're here, right? And you're out, and you're talking to people, and you're meeting, and you're circulating, and trying, you're generating your own activity, right? If you're, I mean, I think that, what you know, not that a lot of people do this, but the idea is if you get managers and agents, you can't, oh, they're going to handle all that for me, and I'm going to need to just write. It's like, well, yeah, you need to just write, but you can't 100% rely on any one person. Right? I don't rely on my, I don't rely, I don't rely on other people to try to get my shit done. Right? If I want to get my shit done, I'm going to do it myself. Right? And same with my client. So if I would assume that if, you know, if you are a really, if you are really my best clients are people who are active in trying to do their own stuff, it, you know, in tandem with me, not, Right, we're going to do this together, right? They're not just going to be like, hey, Lee, you should do all 100% of this, right? Like, no, like, you need to be generating your own kind of activities and contacts and things on top of everything else. And all I can help is connect the dots, right, in my network, and I can kind of help build, right, build it bigger, right? So, yes, that's really, really important. Right. Is it harder to sort of break a writer-director as opposed to a straight-up screenwriter? Mm, if anything, I actually think the writer-director, in terms, you know, from a representative perspective, is the unicorn, is the, like, the writer-director who can actually write, 
Right. Not just a not just a director who, yeah, sure, I can write no, but a writer director who can write and write insanely well and is also and is interested in both of those things is the most interesting client to have. Right. Directors are different than writers, but yeah, but a writer director, I actually think. If I had to, you know, if I if I asked any agent at any, like, what do you want? They're like writer directors. Like, that's what they want more than anything. Someone who can write something that's beautiful and powerful and amazing for themselves to direct, right? And they can then go, and they don't have to, if you're just a director and you can't write, right? Or like, you, you know, you don't write at a certain level, like, you have to then get other people to help you, right? Whenever you try to get people to, you know, relying on other people to help you do your your stuff, you know, you're adding more cooks into the kitchen, right? As soon as you have to add in a second person to help you create a movie, right? You're, you lose, lost some of your power. So if anything, I actually think writer-directors are easier. It's not really easier to write, you know, I mean, there's a different kind of thing. If you're a writer-director and you want to direct every single thing that you write, well, that can be, that can hinder in certain ways, right? Because are there certain people, there are certain people who aren't just going to want to read that script. Well, I'm never going to hire this Young director to direct, to direct the script, even if I love it, so there's no point in me reading it. Right? That can hinder it in a certain way. But in general, I don't think that there's any. Being able to write well and being able to direct well, and if you can do both of those things, you're, you're set. You're sitting pretty. Gotcha. <laughs> um, now, speaking of clients that do more than one thing, what about film versus television? Do you find it important for a client to want to work in? or have samples for both, or is it something where specialization is more important? I mean, I think that we're in a time where those lines between film and television are kind of getting a little bit more blurred, and I don't think it's as simple of a, of a thing, right? You know, look at someone like, I think you look at someone like Jillian Flynn, right? So who she writes Gone Girl, and she adapts it into a movie, and then she goes and writes... I think she's writing Utopia for David Fincher, which is an HBO series that he's directing. And then they're just rebooting something else and she's doing everything, right? And there's no kind of like, in the thing is she'd never written a feature until she wrote a feature and she'd never written a television show until they had a right television show. Like, so the idea, and then, but they didn't care, right? I mean, even if they did, even if they did, but like they still paid her to do it, right? So the idea that good writers are just good writers, right? And there's different rules in film and television, but they're not like, so different from each other that you would never be able to do both, right? Or they're, you know, they're, they're different muscles on the same body, right? It's not like it's, you know, that crazy of a thing. So I think that also if you're, if you're a smart writer, you should be doing both because it's difficult to get, get anything made. And I think that also in terms of television, there's a lot more, there's a lot of opportunities there now. And there's fewer opportunities to do stuff and features at least at a high-end level, right? I think it's, it's potentially easier for a younger writer to get something going in television, right? Because there's a lot more jobs, right? You can get stuff on a show, you can, you can sell, you know, they're, they're, they're more willing to potentially buy things, right, from younger people because especially if there's a package you can put around it, right, whereas features, you know, you can either go do an independent movie, right, which you're not necessarily going to make very much money off of, or you can write a feature, but it's probably not going to sell to studios because studios just aren't buying as many scripts as they, they used to buy. Whereas television, there's a lot more, there's a lot more opportunities there to do things. But you should be doing both, right? Feature people can get a TV job and they've never written a TV thing before, and TV people can go get a feature job even though they've never done a feature before, right? So those lines go back and forth pretty smoothly now. Right. 
Now, since a lot of our listeners are unrepresented newer writers, other than the traditional ways of getting the interest of representation in terms of referrals, placing on contests, and queries, what what other options do screenwriters have to try to get read by, you know, a rep, an agent, or a manager? I mean, I think, you know, all, the main the main way that I find scripts is I find it's on the Blacklist site, which I think is wonderful. I love the Blacklist site. You know, contests. But again, but it's not just all contests. Like, if someone was like, oh, they send, if someone sends me a query and they're like, I came in third place in the, I don't know, Florida, blah, 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 blah. Like, I'm like, I don't know what that is. That doesn't mean anything to me. Like, that, I don't know what that is, right? Like, that doesn't help me, right? Just placing in a script writing contest. If anything, especially with a content I've never heard of, it's like you might as well left it off. Like you're just wasting air, unless it's actually impressive to me, right? So the ones that are actually, I mean, Nichols, Page, uh, I love the tracking board contest, right? So the blacklist sites. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't even know. I don't even know if I really like maybe. <laughs> I mean, uh, those are the. I think those are those are the bit like those are the ones I I always think are. I think mean, like good enough that there are other ones that people like, but just from my from my taste, I think that those are the Dragon Bar Contest, Nichols, Page are ones that I always think that their scripts are very strong. Mm-hmm. That kinda of come to then, yeah, but it's also like again going back to like being living in LA, it's like the other way that I find writers is just random. I meet them on wherever. Oh, I'm at a party and like, oh I'm a writer. What's your idea? Oh, that sounds cool, but it's you should not reach it. Or they need an executive or they need this person. It's you know, those opportunities and kind of habits, right? You can find representation, right? And if you're, it's going to be harder if you're not living here to stumble into representation. Right. I just wanted to ask a quick question about queries. So for uh, someone considering querying you, shorter is probably better. Um, That's what everybody says. So don't put anything there unless it's absolutely relevant. ELDR. Yeah, yeah, TLDR. Like, that's the most common response I always want to find out to when I get queries. And I, didn't read. I've actually heard really from did. a few managers that it's it's the log line. They they skip everything to the log. They read the log line. If the log line yeah. is interesting, oh, no, yeah. I mean, I never. If you if you send, I mean, I even might say yes, but it's like yeah. If you send, if I get a query letter and it's five paragraphs, I literally am just streaming through it until I see the log line, <laughs> and I'm like not. I'm like. Again, I'm looking back. I'm looking for one of those buzzwords that I'm looking for. Live in LA, got an MFA at a big school. Like, you know, I'm looking for things that are impressive. I'm not looking for, you know, if anything, you're probably, I think the more information sometimes, unless it's actually impressive, can actually help me not want it. Right. If you're like, oh, I live in Ohio and this is my first script, and I'm like, okay, okay. Like, it's like those things aren't necessarily going to, oh, I should definitely read this one. Right, like it's about selling what the, the the pluses are. Right, focusing on the positives, not just here's a bunch of information. Because yeah, not it could be hard for me to pay attention. Like while well, I'll be on the phone, you know, I've gotten you know like 25 emails just since we've been sitting here. Of course, just emails. I'm like I'm like if I'm getting these things, like I'm not paying attention that much to them. So you gotta get something cool to say. I just got a nine on the blacklist site. Oh, cool, great. Let me read this one. Right, it's like things like that. Right, focusing on the the big positive wins. Yeah, and being super short, like five sentences. I mean, like also, like I want, I like ones that are. I mean, also, if they're personal in some way. Oh, hey, da 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 da. I heard that you like, you know, someone's listening to this podcast and like, oh, I heard that you like these kind of things. 
I think this is it. And actually having, like, a legitimate argument for that. Pretty cool. Interesting. Right. Like, making, you know, because I can tell, like, if it's just, like, oh, yeah, I was CC'd amongst 160 other people on that. You know, I was like, okay, this is, an, this is an email to everybody that isn't specific. Like, I signed, I signed one person to a query letter, and it was, and I even asked them, it's like, how many people did you send? Like, oh, we sent it to seven people, and we made individualized, personalized emails for every single one of them. They were super targeted. They knew exactly what kind of managers they were looking for. They emailed those people, very specific letters, right, that had interesting things to say in it. And I paid attention to it. And I said, yeah, send me your script, right? <laughs> so, you know, that kind of thing, right? So they should mention that they heard you on the Scripts and Scribes podcast. And <laughs> you sounded like an absolute genius. Yeah, yeah exactly. Um, um, yeah, but I think it's common sense. It's like it's the same way if you stumbled into Steven Silver in an elevator, and if he asked you, what do you do? And you're like, I'm a writer. And he asked you, what do you write? Imagine that's what you have on a query letter. And you know what? You, you're, on, you're on four or five, and he's getting off. And you have 15 seconds to be able to have him be like, email me. Right? That's what you want by the bottom of the elevator. You have 20 seconds to convince Steven Spielberg to be like, you have to send that to me. What would you say? Right? And it can be, and what is that? Who knows? Because every single person is going to be different. It could be something, something insanely personal. It could be something insanely anything, you know, I, whatever, right? It's whatever is going to grip attention. This. You should know this, and this is what's going to be exciting to you about this. Mm-hmm. Um, and lastly, I wanted to touch on referrals for those who, you know, we've covered referrals before, and the reason they're important in terms of uh, sort of filtering out people in terms of, the quality of work, meaning if you can get a referral, chances are you're not completely terrible, uh, as well as showing that you know people within the industry who are willing to read your work. So that's a good thing. But other than, let's say, writers themselves, like a fellow client or um, perhaps an agent submitting to you or you sub- you know submitting to an agent, other than those types of referrals or even producer who's read their material before, do other referrals like... Uh, screenwriting instructors at a, a, a film school or something, do, do those help uh, sure. a writer? Sure. I mean, I think that, you know, it's also the idea, even when people were referring to me, like, I think that there's certain, certain people understand what I like better than other people do. And that, you know, that's not their, that's not their fault. It's just certain people do. Right. So sometimes, you know, I don't give her a few, there's some people when they refer someone to me, I'm like, well, hundred percent, this one's going to be fucking awesome. <laughs> Like, I know, because, like, well, this person has impeccable taste and, you know, knows the kind of things I like. So if they're calling me being like, Lee, I think you're going to like this. Okay. Well, because, again, like, that's, you know, that's that's part of what my, you know, that's part of what my job is, too, is not, you know, not trying to waste people's time. When I'm sending them a script, I don't send every single one of my clients' scripts to absolutely every single person that I can send it to. Because it doesn't make any sense. Right? Because if I don't think that they're going to like it, why would I send it to them? Right, because every single person has different jobs, different goals, different things they're looking for, different kinds of opportunities that they can create for a writer, or different, you know, so not every single, and because that also goes back to the idea of why I don't necessarily want 25 of the, of the type of person that all do the same thing, because that's only, that's going to limit the amount of people that I can have interesting conversations with, right? I want to have different kinds of writers, because that means that I'm going to be able to have, you know, different people are going to want to hear different things. I mean, I'm going to send different people different things, right? I mean, they're going to get a subset of the, of the people that I represent. So um, in terms of referrals, yeah, I mean, I think, you know, some referrals, you know, are there people that I'm going to 
pay less or more? And it's, yeah, absolutely, right? You know, but it's also about like, well, do they know my taste? Is it, you know, also, you know, sometimes I'll get referred things and it's not even referred. It's like, hey, Lee, this is a shit show and this writer's meeting everywhere. Uh, you should be aware of this. And I'm like, okay, well, then then the conversation is like, well, am I going to throw my hat in here? And I'm like, going to try to wrangle this writer into signing with me versus somebody else, too, right? And, like, those, that's not necessarily a referral, but, you know, I get, a, I get a hold of those things, too, right? So, and those, those, you know, those situations, too, can be created by a lot of different ways, right? Right. Now, I just wanted to touch base quickly on, uh, I know one of your clients, Rodney Asher, uh, has a film, uh, The Nightmare at Sundance, yeah. coming up. Yeah. And, uh, like, maybe you can tell us a little bit about how the process of how The Nightmare got made and, you know, that whole journey for one of your clients. Yeah. Well, I mean, so he worked, he does really interesting. He did this movie called Room 237, which is at Sundance two years ago, which is a documentary about the conspiracy theories surrounding The Shining. So he writes, he does these, really interesting kind of, you know, has a, have a genre bend to them, but are really kind of interesting explorations of ideas, concepts, and the shining, the Room 57 was much more about kind of the idea about how these 10 people can look at this movie from 10 different perspectives and see something that's just a movie in all these different ways. So this movie is kind of in, you know, kind of in that same vein, right? Looking at how people are, are experiencing a specific thing. And it's about sleep paralysis, which is where you wake up in the middle of the night and you can't move. Um, and we shot beautiful reenactments and it's exciting. And, um, so how I came about is, you know, that's, he had this idea. We were kind of poking around and he got, we got these, um, just kind of, he just, he ran into one producer. He pitched them the idea. They got these other producers on board and they financed the movie. <laughs> that, was, that was it. It was like, you know, it's actually, you know, when a movie gets made, sometimes it's just, it's magic, right? This person talked to this person, this person talked to this other person, and all of a sudden, uh, it was like, I mean, it's actually, it was actually funny. It was within like a, you know, like weeks, essentially. He was like, oh, I think I'm going to talk to this, you know, we're going to talk to this tree. I'm like, okay, cool, blah, 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 blah. And all of a sudden it was like, boom, 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 you shoot your thing. <laughs> so I feel like that's actually, you know, that was an interesting experience where just he was prepared to kind of roll the sleeves and do it, right? I think whenever anything gets, you know, made, like what, the way that I'll, I'll call it, like what I would say is, you know, the reason why someone should write write something is, yes. If you want to get it made, 100%. That should be the goal. I'm going to write the script. I want to get it made. This is nice. You know, I want to do this. But I think the idea is you should never write something like, oh, well, I want to get this made, but I have to, I better make it $100,000 or I don't want to make it. But no, you should write the absolute best version of the project, right? And shoot for the moon because, you know, the best, the best script, it's not necessarily, you could write the best script ever. Maybe it even doesn't get made, which is always, Sad, but it's the idea that that can be a calling card forever, right? You know, Sony just bought this, I think it was Strip Genius by um, John Cena's script Passengers. It's like he's gotten tons of other jobs and tons of things because that script is just great. And I think Sony just, Sony's gonna, it sold another one studio, sold another studio, and like it just keeps getting passed around because the script is so great. Hopefully they're gonna make it because it'll be a great movie, right? So that's the idea that if you write something and it's wonderful, you know, something really worth, something really, really great will live on forever. Right, even if it's not just, even if it doesn't get made, right? Sometimes the wins can be bigger than getting a movie made. Sometimes you can go write another movie that gets made, and the only reason you got that one is because you did the other one. Right. Right. So the idea, you know, how how did a movie get made? It's just magic. <laughs> From my perspective, that 
that's, you know, I call people, I send scripts around, and whenever someone's like, oh, I want to do this one, I'm like, oh, really? Oh, that's awesome. Oh, cool. Because, you know, the most, you know, the most common response that, you know, I get is, is no. You're always going to get so many more no's than any guesses. And that's if you're, this, it's up, it, from the smallest to the biggest. Like, it doesn't matter. Everyone gets way more no's, right? Way, way, way more than they get guesses. So, you get a yes. It's like, holy shit. I didn't, I didn't know that you, I didn't know those yes existed. And then you go and you go and make a movie. It's wonderful, right? But that's also why it's about, you can go back when, why you should write things that you actually really care about and want to get made because it's going to be so difficult. So if you're going to get a bunch of no's, you should write something that you're okay with getting a bunch of no's because you believe in it so much that you'll plow through, right? Because you just need one. Like to get a movie made, sometimes you don't need that many yeses. Like you, maybe you, two or three even, right? You don't need that many people to say yes, right? So that is really powerful, right? That's like a powerful kind of element of writing a script. You don't need, you know, it's just about getting it to the right two or three people, right? And that's how representatives can be helpful is helping kind of build those bridges to those people who can then say yes. Right. And saying yes is a big deal because, you know, having worked at, at Fox myself, having worked at CIA, Saying yes is potentially putting people's jobs, the people who say yes, on the line. It, and so it, they're putting their much, job on the it's line. Much easier, it's much easier to say no or maybe. Right? Saying yes is it puts you, it puts you, you know, puts you out. Right? It puts, your, it puts your head on the block. Right? Well, I'm saying yes on this thing. Right? So you have to, like, you have to own it. So that's why if you don't really... You know, that's why you should be creating, you know, that's if you're a writer, you should be creating things that are going to inspire people to say yes. If you're not inspiring people to say yes, you know, you need to, you need to inspire people to put their jobs on the line. Right. For your script. Absolutely. Right? Because if you, if they say yes, and you end up not being working out, or you end up being, you know, doing a good job, or this and that, and blah, 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 well, then it's going to, you know, trickle down towards everything. So it's about making sure that you're, also understanding what your strong suits are. If you're if you're a if you're a if you're a thriller writer and you're like, well, I'm gonna try comedy, but comedy's not your thing. Well, that's fine, but know where your strengths are, right? If you're a great character writer but you're bad with action, well, then you probably should do more of the one and less of the other thing. Understanding what you're good at, right, and making sure that your scripts harness that to the best of your ability, right, and that's just gonna benefit you. And also, even the idea like when you get a nothing of what Sometimes with, and I see this always happening with younger writers too, it's like, oh, I had an opportunity, I should say yes to this. It's like, well, do you like it? Are you going to do a good job? Oh, I don't know. It's like, well, sometimes, again, sometimes something knows better for you too. Sometimes you don't need to go do that. It, maybe it's better if you just go write your own thing or do the thing or wait or, you know, you don't want to get yourself in a situation where you're doing something that you don't feel passionate about, right? Especially if you're going to go write a script that you don't care about because taking writing a script takes a lot of, takes a lot of time. Right, it takes months, right? So there's no point, you know, life is short and writing script takes a long time. So if you're going to really take the time to do something, making sure that it's something you really, really, really care about. Right. Now, lastly, we just like to ask, reading, watching, and playing. What are you reading, <laughs> watching, and or playing, you know, video game-wise? Or... <laughs> I'll start with, with the playing. I love, I love these um, Supercell. I love these Supercell games. I love Clash of Clans. I love... I love playing Boom Beach, too, are the two things. Like, I was, like, in between everything else. <laughs> I was doing all the photos up in, like, attack some village. And stuff. <laughs> I really love those. <laughs> I love those. I'm actually, 
actually, I've never seen The Wire, and I'm about halfway through The Wire right now, which I'm enjoying. Yeah. And, and I, I think the first, I don't, the first couple episodes are a little rough to me. Like, it's hard for me to get into it a little bit. So I, like, I think this is, like, this actually like the third time I've tried to watch it, and it's not into it. Like, I kind of had to, like, get over a, how to get over a hump a little bit. But I have, like, episode, like, five of the first season. I'm like, oh, this is great. Right away, it took me. I had to get the, the ball rolling. And what was the other thing? Reading? Yeah, what are you reading? Reading. Comic tons books. What I'm reading. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I was going to say tons books, tons comic books, but yeah, okay. Your, your reading <laughs> schedule is probably pretty full of scripts. I got you. <laughs> yeah, but I, I wanted to reiterate about The Wire. If For those people who haven't seen The Wire or given it a chance but not enough, yeah, you have to watch halfway through the, I mean watch the first five or six get, get six seven episodes into it before you turn it off because you will not stop once you've gotten to that point but oh, yeah. Yeah, in the yeah, beginning is rough turn it, yeah. I turned the corner first like absolutely those first episodes are bad by any means no no, no, kind no. Of like, I don't really understand it's like what it's like it's because also like I literally like I mean, my favorite television are television shows that are very like I love Game of Thrones I think Game of Thrones sure. is the most ever because like, I think it speaks to my kinds of sensibilities. Like, what did I say? The movies that keep letting me feel like I love action and Lord of the Rings. Like, the reasons why I like I love movies that are big and loud. And even when I like something small, I still think I like things that are louder, right? Like, I love Paul Thomas Anderson and the Coen Brothers and those kind of people. Because even if they're doing something that's quote unquote smaller, it's not quiet by any means, right? It definitely has like a strong, vivid point of view. Um, so those are the kind of things. That I like, or if yeah, the wire is a little bit more subdued than the stuff that I normally respond to. Um, and you went to, you're a Wolverine, right? Yes, I went to University of Michigan. Yeah. Um, it, just, I, I heard that Rich Eisen, who's a part of the NFL network, who was also uh, a Michigan alum, apparently could not watch the, uh, the end of the national championship game. Did you? <laughs> Because I, this is the thing. I was at University of Michigan. I both of my parents went to Michigan State. Actually, so like I hate Michigan football and sports. It's super funny. People are always like, "Oh, don't you? Aren't you into Michigan?" Da, 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 da. I'm like, no, because like I was on Michigan State to win because it makes my dad happy. <laughs> I always want my like dad to be happy. Like, oh, Michigan State won. I'm like, oh, great game because he gets all upset about it. So that's that's where I am with the. I went to U of M because it was just convenient, and I liked it more. So that's about it. <laughs> Not for the sports. Yeah, I think about the field of sports. Well, I know you've got to run. You got a class to teach. Right. Um, <laughs> but you can follow Lee on Twitter. It's at Lee Stoby, S T O B B Y. That's Twitter and Instagram. Uh, you can find him on Stage Thirty Two as well. And apparently, uh, you are the only Lee Stoby in the whole world. So that's. Yeah, well, if you, yeah, I'm always, well, yeah, don't, I'm always scared when I Google, because I'm like, what is going to come up here? I don't want to look too hard. But yeah, I, I am definitely, the, oh, there's some, there's some Stoby Lee's, but not, not Lee Stoby. I'm the only one. At least the last time I checked, I was still the only one. So, yeah, I'm definitely, I'm an easy person to find. A lot, I mean, but, you know, a lot of people, like, they, I'm, they want to be, you know, they want to create a, a, a barrier or a facade. I'm like, i rather... It would be annoying to me if someone was like, Lee, I wanted to get you something and I couldn't get a hold of you. I'd be like, what the fuck? Like, my stuff is everywhere. Like, tweet at me. Like, if you if you got me something for me, come at me. Yeah. I'm around. Don't stop. So, yeah, I'm available. I'm around. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> 
so yeah be sure to follow lee on twitter and instagram we'll have all the links on our site too so you can definitely right. check that out yeah also my instagram is mostly pug pictures so if you love pictures of pugs absolutely follow me on instagram too right and who doesn't <laughs> so everyone go to instagram and uh for more great interviews and resources on the craft and business of screenwriting you can check out our website scriptsandscribes.com uh, and thank you so much for your time today lee i appreciate great. it great Thank you so much, Kevin. And thank you all for listening.